It's a general rule on this podcast we try to avoid plugging products and services and I've sort of broken it a bit on this episode but when you listen to it you'll understand why and I think you'll sympathize with me indulging Robert and Charlie. They're from a company called Money Guided. They're a fintech. They're doing some super interesting stuff with helping people connect with their finances and I think offering some really interesting insights in how the industry could evolve to deliver better guidance and help for customers going forwards and in the process to solve some of the longer-term financial planning issues around insurance, protection, long-term savings, and so on. Have a listen. I think you'll enjoy it. So, so I thought we should probably just start with who, who are you and what do you do? So I'm Charlie, Charlie Parnell, and I'm one of the founders of Money Guided. And in very quick form, Money Guided is a personal finance management app aimed at anyone who basically can't afford professional formal financial advice and it's delivered digitally and we sell the app the proposition the service to employers as a benefit to give to their employees and i came into this after a circa 20 year career in wealth management where i was looking after rich people and their money and their families and had what I thought was a was a, a great idea and something that I think a lot of people need but can't access. And so I left all that behind to set up Money Guided and I'll hand over to Rob who he and I have been working together for nearly three years now, I think, Rob, isn't it? Coming up for in May. Yeah. And um, I'll let him Star in. Star Wars Day. Fourth of May, indeed. Yeah, May the 4th be with us. Yeah, I'll just let Rob introduce himself as well. Thanks, Charlie. So, Rob Wakefield, um, I've been in financial services now for coming up 18 years. In that time, I've had involvement in just about every type of personal finance product from spending three and a half years at Royce TSB in a branch dealing with retail banking, about three and a half years in branch with HSBC as financial advisor, three years then in the head office team that was responsible for the advice proposition, and then the final four years at HSBC as a senior investment specialist for the multi-asset business in asset management. For my sins, I'm a qualified financial advisor and a CFA charter holder. And things were going quite well at HSBC, actually. I felt as though things were were progressing nicely in my career. And then I came across Charlie and co-founded Ben with this idea for a financial wellbeing app. So I decided to leave HSBC and what was a fairly comfortable number and come and, and try and change the world with Charlie and Ben. So the idea is that it's trying to draw on my experience across different forms of financial planning, financial advice, different financial products, and use that knowledge for the benefit of our users. So every decision that I'm making when trying to design a product is rather than how do I get somebody to buy something, it's more a case of how do I get people to make better decisions? How do, how do I use this knowledge to to get better outcomes for our users? And I think that probably sums it up in a nutshell. Okay, and I want to dig into a little bit more how you do that and who you do that for. But I was just struck when we met a few weeks ago. This is fashionable stuff right now. Just just in terms of we've got the advice guidance boundary review underway from the FCA. We've got the DWP looking at how pension schemes help their members transition into retirement. And it feels to me as if everything you guys are doing is quite quite opportune and timely and relevant. And we've got this perennial problem that 
financial advice, holistic financial advice is pretty good, but hardly anyone pays for it. And you know, typically it's serving less than 10% of the population. And the other 90% are looking for help and guidance and support in how they manage their finances. And they're getting it here and there from the likes of the money advice service and money and pension service and to some degree from platforms and from life codes. And it's all a bit bitty. And I was just really interested in what you guys are doing as a way to to fill that gap. And in particular, the way you're kind of creating an intersection between banking and long-term savings and investment products and the traditional sort of financial planning stuff that the industry has always been quite good at. I'd just like to hear more about how you're doing that and who you're doing that for. Yeah, I mean, great question. Great observations. I think that stark reality of only 10% of people accessing financial advice or frankly being able to afford to access financial advice. And if we're honest, it probably isn't even 10%. At the same time, there is a huge amount of really high quality information out there and a lot of stuff that people can use to help themselves, whether it's content, educational content via websites or other media or investment platforms, or pension platforms, or consolidation platforms. You know, there's, there's there's loads of information, loads of product out there, but not least because we don't really get educated about money and how it works and and how to use it as a resource. And all the products and so on that are out there from a young age, we're kind of left to our own devices. And I think one of the starting points for us as an organisation, for us as a business, was it, it's all well and good all this great stuff being out there. But if you don't know what question to ask, then it's kind of moot. And our suspicion is that in a lot of instances, many people don't even know that there is a question, let alone what question to ask. So that's the backdrop in terms of how we're doing it and what we're doing. I think Rob touched on it a moment ago in that a lot of the world of financial services, the financial product manufacturer is designed to be sold to the consumer. And a lot of these journeys are designed for people to end up buying a product, which is fine. And a lot of these products are great and really important. And if you have a problem, the solution will often be a product. But actually, our sense is that there aren't many people out there looking to solve the problem for its own sake. If you're a manufacturer of product and that's how you get paid, it stands to reason that you want people to buy your product. And as a consequence, a lot of the journeys that people find themselves in are designed for that end result to be buy the product rather than what a financial advisor might do at the start is is go through that assessment process of where you're at, what you're trying to achieve, what your current position is and where you want to get to. And I think that that difference in approach is, is a good starting point from our point of view because actually we're incentivized to solve, help people solve their problem through our business model, which is, as I mentioned before, subscription-based, sold to employers on behalf of the employee. And, and that starting point, I think, gives us a, a different angle and enables us to look down the telescope from the other end. But I'll, I'll hand over to Rob now, if I may, as well, to, to elaborate a bit on that. I think one of the key things that we've identified over the last three years is that personal finance primarily is not a mathematical problem. I think lots of people try to solve issues around financial knowledge, financial understanding by chucking out education and data and maths. 
And that's really, it's, it's not going to solve the problem. So education on its own doesn't change behaviour. There's a statistic that we came across that back in around 2010, about 40% of Italian GPs smoke or smoked. Now, if it was an education issue, then they wouldn't be smoking because surely they know that it's bad for them. Um, so there has to be something else at play there. There has to be uh, a behavioural element, um, a societal element, and a, an emotional element. So if we treat personal finance purely as a mathematical problem, we're doomed to fail. What we have to do is we have to recognise that it's uh, an emotional and behavioural jigsaw that needs to be pieced together. So the way we, we look at that and the way we do that is a combination of data, understanding the client, and then trying to weave that together and make them or help them understand what it is that money actually does. We quite often get asked, how much better off can somebody be by using money guided? And to answer that question, you have to actually look at what is value? What is it that somebody's getting from using money guided? And some people may use our spending plan, spending analysis and notice that they're spending a lot more on coffee or pets or any other thing that they thought they were. And then they can use our app to set a spending plan and, uh, and redirect their, their money to another cause. Well, it's not for us to tell them what that money should be spent on. It's for us to kind of highlight what is it that makes them feel good about their money? What is it that they actually want their money to do? And it could be that they want it to do something in the future, in which case they put it in a savings account. Or it could be that instead of spending money on coffee, they want to spend it in a restaurant instead or any other area that's going to deliver value to them. Because it's the things that you buy that actually have the value, not the money itself. And what we're trying to do is help people see where their money's going, what value they're getting from their money, and then help them have the right money in the right place at the right time so that they can lead their best lives. So that all makes sense, but let's just unpick that. How do you do that? What is the mechanism whereby a, a consumer accesses your products and services? You talked about going through the employer. Just Just break that down for me a little bit. How does that work? Sure. So an employer will license our product. They'll pay us a fee to have access to Money Guided. Their staff get access to the app through app stores. They can download it. They tell us who they work for. We kind of whitelist employers' email addresses and then we can see where they're at and that they have access to, to Money Guided. When they first download the app, they'll go through a sign-up journey where they can link their accounts uh, through open banking. So that will allow them to link current accounts, credit cards, savings accounts, anything that's available through the open banking service. And then they, they come into our homepage where they can see an overview of all of the data that we can see from open banking. We give them the ability to then tell us about other products and services that they have. And we're building out our, our kind of document scanning process. So over time, people will be able to email in things like car insurance policy documents, and then we'll read it and upload that information into the app as well. And what we're doing here is we're creating a, a kind of all-in-one-place environment where somebody can get an overview of their financial situation. And this really is the first step because personal finance is incredibly complicated, largely because of the scope of it and how much there is. And whenever somebody's faced with a large, large complicated problem, the, the temptation is to just ignore it and say, well, I don't know where to start in the first place, so I'm not going to bother. Well, we're giving people that starting point by organising their finances and trying to simplify it and give people a, an internal locus of control so that they feel like they're doing things rather than things being done to them. Once all of that data is in the app, we've built a, a fact card or a fact find similar to what an advisor would have. 
and we can start looking at this data we can start looking for problems kind of common things that maybe aren't going too well so if we see that somebody who's got a balance on a credit card, they're paying interest and they have money in a savings account, we can just highlight this minor discrepancy to them and just say, look, you're paying more interest here than you're receiving on your savings. Is this something that you want to do? Here's some education. But then we also have a, uh, a plan your finances structure where we've tried to decode financial advice into a series of steps and logical logical actions, kind of smaller actions that people can take so that over time, as they work through this this structure, they'll start to reorganise their finances in a way that is best for them and, again, is trying to deliver the right outcomes for them. So it's providing people with the structure and the steps to take and then letting them letting them follow their journey to, to get to a point where it's doing what it needs to do for them. Charlie, have I missed anything obvious? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think that the way I always used to describe it early on is that you know, I, I used to have a spreadsheet to look at our financial situation as a family, but I worked in, I was a you know, professional money manager and it was kind of in my wheelhouse to do that. And I suspect, Rob, you, you've done the same and, and Tom, I'm sure, similarly sophisticated, um, such as it is, but most people don't have the spreadsheet. And if you say to someone, put all your money stuff into a spreadsheet, and a lot of people would just, as Rob said, they just won't go through that process because, frankly, it's it's boring, it's unintelligible. And when they do have the spreadsheet, A, it's probably out of date because things change all the time in, in, in their spending. And secondly, not everyone, I would argue, fairly few people are equipped to actually look at the spreadsheet and go, so what? So what, what, you know, the starting point is help people to build up the spreadsheet without calling it a spreadsheet or making it look like a spreadsheet or even speak in those terms but rob used it used the term all in one place if you can see what's going on as an individual then that's a great starting point from our perspective at money guided if we can see what's going on and the more we can see the the more powerful the the underlying machinery gets the more we can identify problems that people may know they've got or problems that they don't know they've got but if we can see the problem then we can start to surface education and what we call moves nudges effectively that that prompt people to take action where appropriate or indeed in some instances it might be they don't need to take any action at all and because we're not just here to to flog a a product to the unsuspecting consumer actually for us no action and delivering the message of you're in good shape and you don't need to do anything at this moment in time is quite powerful i think and building up that financial assistant in your pocket enabling people and i use the term advisor very broadly indeed in a sort of non-regulated but enabling someone almost to become their own financial advisor and the machine is there helping them stay on top of their situation at a moment in time because things do change and things do crop up not every day probably not even every week but things do do crop up for example an insurance renewal or a credit card rolls off or you're going into your overdraft whatever it may be and money guided the app is there to to sit in your pocket and to be your eyes and ears and to to give you those prompts when you need them and some of them are big issues like are you saving enough for your retirement which for most people is of course a fairly abstract concept and, and others are slightly less profound but but important to stay on top of nonetheless so as you were talking then about spreadsheets and i'm sitting here thinking about the Google Sheets and my wife and I used to record all our banking transactions and that kind of works for us. But also, yes, it's a pain in the ass to do. And, you know, 
data quality sometimes gets a bit ragged and if you don't categorize things effectively then you can't track where the spending's going and all that kind of stuff so i guess my question is you know how granular how effective can you be at sort of categorizing expenditure outgoings and providing that clarity to your users yes this is how much you spend on your dogs every month this is how much you spend on your groceries every month this is yeah. how much you spend on coffee every month all that kind of stuff i mean it's a great question and we probably haven't got enough time this morning to to walk you through every painful step that we've been through in terms of how granular how not granular what's useful what's not useful and the more people you get into a room to discuss how best to approach that question the more complicated it gets but the short answer is that where we've landed in our current iteration is reasonably granular and how many, how many categories have we got rob that that we enable people to put transactions into uh, it's around um, 37 categories at the moment 37 but then they're split between fixed costs if you like yeah. say so things like mortgage rent council tax etc utilities and then what, i guess what we call everyday spending ranging from groceries i think pets is a category etc so so you, you can get quite granular one that i keep campaigning for is something like work lunch although i don't actually want to know the answer because rob and i our office is based next to borough market, borough market. Um, so, it's, a, it's a trap so, isn't it yeah my word is it a trap so so i have an inkling that i spend quite a lot of work lunches or, or lunch you know when, when i'm there in the office during the working week i'm actually a little bit terrified of what the number might be but I think that the key to it, Tom, is you need a certain amount of detail in order to start making these better informed decisions around spending, for example. But, and, and you might not change your spending habit, but but at least once you know, you can make that decision to, to stick or twist. So there needs to be a reasonable amount of detail, but too much. And this is where the behavioral science comes in. Too much and, and actually it loses its impact. Some of the categories we've got are quite broad. And some are are more detailed, but we we've been around the houses a lot, haven't we, Rob? Yeah, and um, there's a a continuous question about how much of this do you automate, and how much do you ask the user to categorise their own transactions. Everyone operating in this space is limited by the quality of the data that they get from the open banking provider, and they're limited by the quality of data that they get from the bank. So that there is only so much that can be done automatically. And initially, when we started tackling this problem, that was a bit of a disappointment to us, because we wanted to create this this machine that could just see everything and show you everything in one thing, in one kind of logical breakdown. But again, actually, the more we spoke to our behavioural science advisors, and so we've, we've worked with a team based out of Canada, who are one of the leading behavioural science labs in the world. We've spoken to clinical psychologists who's helped advise us on how this machine should work. And the more we talk to them, again, we, I've used the phrase before, there's a locus of control. So locus of control is the feeling that your decisions are having an impact on your life rather than some external nebulous force that's kind of making decisions for you and you're just kind of along for the ride. You can't feel good about your situation until you have an internal locus of control, until you feel like your decisions are making things happen. And just automating things doesn't really help with that locus of control. 
Whereas if you give somebody a starting point and you say, look, we, we've categorized these transactions, but here are some things for you to look at yourself and for you to make a decision on. You're getting people to do things and you're showing them the instant benefit of doing that by seeing their picture start to take shape. But also you're, you're telling people or you're making people pull up the handbrake and just take a little bit of time. So society now is 100 mile an hour. Technology is, has been great in making people's lives easier, but it's also made companies' lives easier. It's never been easier to get money from us because now we don't have to think about it. We can just kind of click the side of a phone and show our face at a phone and all of a sudden you've bought something from Amazon. So that ability to slow down is being taken away. Companies want everyone to speed up and to not think about it and just kind of tap, tap, tap and keep keep spending money. And what this does is it makes people slow down. It makes people think, well, actually, I keep tagging things for Costa or I keep tagging things for the local pub. How much am I actually spending here? It makes people think about it. And this is what companies don't want people to do. They don't want people to slow down and think about it because if they do, they'll stop spending so much money. So this tagging piece is actually a um, a central part of the app. It really helps people get a fundamental understanding of where their money is going each month. You talked about the the, the moves or the nudges, prompt actions. How, How does that work? What do those look like? Again, this is where a lot of that behavioral science theory, that psychological theory, comes into it and yeah we're all familiar with it's called the nudge unit isn't it but the behavioral insights unit which was created by cameron i believe and we're familiar yeah yeah. Yeah, and and yeah we're, we're familiar with some of the work that they've done around stuff that happens in in public and and so on. Were they actually involved in the auto-enrolment work, Tom? You'd know way um, better than me. But. No, the whole auto-enrolment stuff predated that. That was yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Richard Bala and then Shlomo Bonazzi with the Save More for Tomorrow program. So that all predated yeah. the nudge unit. Okay. Oh, I mean, it's the same school of thought, right? So in, in our world, a nudge could be you've got an insurance policy, motor insurance policy that's renewing in a month's time, tap on the shoulder, notification gets delivered, via our moves engine that is saying you've got an insurance policy that comes up in a month's time you should really do something about it and then periodically in the ensuing weeks you'll get a series of further notifications saying have you done something about it you should do something about it and so on and then post the event you would probably get another nudge along the line and by the way we're not trying to be annoying here we're trying to get you to to act it's a fine balance right it is a very fine balance and and again we've spent a lot of time working on what is the right cadence of these sorts of things but after the event if you've then you've had the renewal date pass we would then probably deliver another nudge saying this pass did you do something about it tell us about your new policy at which point to rob's thought earlier about emailing in documents and what have you once that date has passed we you know we want to help you help yourself in the future to to get that reminder a year down the line when it renews again but you know a move that i've got in in my my stack at the moment is something maybe prompting me to take a look at my my pensions there's one here a recurring payment has increased it was x last month it's it was y this month were you expecting this and you know this is something that i've used personally where i think it was Sky TV and BT Broadband inadvertently rolled off my two-year contracts. They, they sort of default up to a, a more expensive uh, tariff, effectively. Yeah, yeah. 
And, and of course, what Sky want to happen in the same way that many insurance companies want to happen with your motor or home, whatever, is they want you to forget about it so that they can sneakily put the price up and you don't notice. Now, the money guy that prompted me probably about a year ago now saying, oh, your Sky bill has increased from whatever it was, £85 a month to £105 a month. Were you expecting this? If not, maybe give Sky a call. Q, get in touch with Sky. I then... I then have a decision to make, do I want to continue with Sky or, or not? And I then recontracted for another two years back at 85 quid or 90 quid or whatever, which over two years saves me whatever that is, 200, and, 200 quid, 300 quid, something like that, similarly with the broadband. So that's where the eyes and ears thing comes in. I've got an update, my, my insurance policy details, and then a much more generic nudge which is sort of more finance 101 and, and money guided 101, just a nudge saying investing time to take control and basically take a step back, look at what's going on. Here's some very brief educational content about why being in control of your finances will make you feel better and enable you to make better decisions and, and live a more productive, happier life, I guess. Here's why being in control of your money and doing that all in one place stuff is so important. So there's a real range of things, but everything is designed to come back to this central point of helping the consumer get better financial outcomes, which involves that sort of anything from housekeeping to taking action to where you're aware of this to pensions are really important. But because we're not a pension provider, example, for example, our starting point isn't review your pensions, consolidate your pensions, increase your pension contribution. Give us more money. <laughs> yeah, ex ex exactly right. Now, there's an interesting point here that the technology we've created and the environment we've created with that, I think, noble purpose of helping people solve their problem could very well be used in other environments where where the where the, the, the user of that sort of technology might want to drive assets under management or product sale for commission or whatever it may be, which is something that we've been aware of since day one. And but does that well, sort of give you a yeah, bit of colour so, on that so nudge? What, what what I love about this is is you're you're creating a context where people have better insight, better understanding of their money, better understanding, perhaps a bit of financial planning, and maybe a more efficient day to day cash flow bank banking management life as a result of using the tools that you've described there. All of which then creates a context that helps to facilitate the solving of some of the longer-term financial planning problems, like are you building up a cash reserve? Are you more financially resilient? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taking out life insurance? Are you saving enough for your retirement? And I think something the industry has been guilty of repeatedly over the years is the solutionizing, is the product sale of, well, we 100%. know Charlie needs to put more money in his pension and we sell pension, yeah, yeah, yeah. so we just go and say, Charlie, give us some money <laughs> from your pension, rather yeah. than what you guys are doing, which is saying, okay, Let's let's sort out a world where Charlie is actually enabled to think about pension planning and has some money to put into a pension, uh, and then we'll worry about the other bit after. Yeah, well, and, and I'd, I'd, I'd almost take it a step further, Tom, actually, because if our sole purpose in life was to drive people to put money into their pensions, then, of course, we want people to do it as soon as possible. And that, that makes – I get that. It's, it's, not, it's not bad. That's what those people are there to do. But – if your starting point is someone who is not really engaged with their finances and doesn't really trust financial services for whatever reason, and you know we can all remember the banking crisis oh too well, 
you have to build up that trust in the short term. You have to earn the right to talk to them about something, which if you're 30 <laughs> years old, for the sake of argument, is you're talking something that's, that's 30 years down the line. How, I mean, it's so abstract and so, so nebulous. But yeah, one day you will retire. People don't want to think about it because it's a long way off. They don't want to think about their own mortality. And frankly, they're more interested in can I afford to go down the pub or, or any number of other things that people need and want to do in their day-to-day lives today, saying to them, you should put £20 a month more into your pension because here's, here's the mathematical reason why. It's not difficult to see why people are not engaged with, with their pensions or with their savings or with, because it's too distant and it's too, it's too irrelevant for them today. I was going to say, if, if, if you say to someone that if you put another £50 a month in your pension, you'll have more when you retire, what are they going to say? They're going to go, yeah, I know, but I don't want to. And that's because if you just use mathematical terms, you're treating it as this mathematical problem rather than this emotional behavioural jigsaw that needs to be pieced together. So one of the outcomes from the work that you do and the way the app works is the potential, and I mentioned about the FCA and the, the Advice Guidance Boundary Review, and, yeah. and to my eyes, what you're doing fits into this equation in a really interesting kind of way. But one of the potential outcomes is you get into the realms of, okay, Charlie, maybe you need to look at some life insurance or, okay, Charlie or Rob, you need to look at putting a bit more into your pension. And you start to get into the realms of regulated sales of regulated financial products. So I guess there's a couple of questions there. One is, how do you manage that when that situation arises? And then also, do you actually go to the point of saying, hey, Charlie, you should save more money into this Hargreaves Lansdowne SIP over here. We can sort that out for you. I mean, yeah. where, 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 do you, where does that go? Where, how does that all work? You know, do, do you get paid for any, I mean, do you introduce business to, to third party providers? How does that all work? So I'll hand over to Rob in a moment on this as well. But I think that the starting point for our approach is better informed, self-directed decision making. So as things stand, we are very pointedly staying on the guidance side of the line rather than the advice side of the line. And that works for us for many reasons. But in terms of getting, yeah, so we don't have an arrangement with Hargreaves for the sake of argument or, you know, AJ Bell or, or whomever it may be. But going back to the business model and that subscription paid for by the employer, there is sort of an extension to that and there's we do have some relationships with third party providers third party manufacturers and we can hand off to them in a in a certain situation for example an income protection player or there's a contents and gadget insurance company that we work with there's a sort of a motoring app that provides in, insurance products people go down that route so it's all non-advised it's hand off and in case of motor, your, your motor insurance is up as a first port of call. Why don't you go and speak to this this third party? But basically, wh- where we would potentially get paid a commission, we would either rebate that back to the consumer. So, again, aligning ourselves with the consumer outcome rather than our own P and L, or perhaps even cleaner is is that we get the provider to offer a keener price to Discount. the consumer at the point of sale. There is a world in which, yeah, the big thing, I, Rob's touched on this, education is great, but on its own, I- irrelevant. Not irrelevant, sorry. It just, it, it lacks it's Somewhat ineffective, yeah. Yeah, but, but, people then need to act on that. Now, 
I can see a scenario where someone in their place of work goes to a, a seminar delivered by a very effective, wise financial coach slash financial advisor type person. And they walk away from that with new knowledge and great motivation. I really must sort something out. And they go back to their desk and they come back to a pile of emails and what have you. And they, they just sort of forget about it. And, oh, and then a week later, oh, I must get around to it. And, and actually giving people the ability to do something and to act on this newfound information, this newfound knowledge is really important. From a regulatory perspective, as long as, long as we're not advising and as long as we're not saying people like you do this, and as long as we're saying you should buy this product and invest it in these ways, then, then we stay very much on that line. But what we can do is give people the tools to make those better informed decisions and give people the smarts to, you know, you should consider consolidating your pensions to simplify your life. Here are some options. Option one, you could potentially add it to your existing workplace scheme. Option two, you could go to any number of providers out there. Here are some examples. When making those decisions, here are the things you need to bear in mind. Price, accessibility, choice of investment, blah, blah, blah. But there are so many decisions that someone needs to make that they, they kind of need the hand-holding. There is a world in which we may end up providing our own proposition in certain product verticals ourselves but at the moment we're keeping it quite clean and simple rob anything to add yeah i was, I was just going to say that the marketplace that we have within the app with the different people that we we have available through there is really positioned and designed to be a starting point of somebody's search because what we're trying to do is highlight to people that they need to take time most people make a bad financial decision when it's rushed, when a date or a deadline is coming up and they leave it to the last minute and they start looking around and then think, oh, that one will do. I'll just buy that one. It's less about us finding the absolute very, very best product and then pushing it and kind of acting as the mouthpiece for a, a company and more about giving people the starting point for them to start thinking about what they want to do. What's quite liberating from my point of view is being blunt, whether somebody buys a product through our platform has no impact on me whatsoever. I'm not really that fussed whether somebody uses our phone insurance provider or not. I only care if they're getting the right outcome. So if our phone insurance partner delivers the best solution that fits somebody's need, then great. And if not, then great. But it's just about, again, it's just about people taking the time to take control rather than these external forces doing things and controlling their lives for them. Well, one of the things that struck me before talking to you guys was that we, when we spoke a few weeks ago, it was very much around the time that the DWP was looking at the this question idea of a lifetime provider for your pensions. That mm. you know, once you signed up to a pension, you'd just stay with that pension, and that would carry through your working life, going from job to job, and you wouldn't have to get alt enrolled into a new pension every time you change jobs. And one of the objections I was hearing from the industry at the time about that was, "Yeah, but look, the the that undermines the employer." relationship with the pension scheme and the, and the and the member because because once the employer has been divorced from the choice of the pension scheme you know they'll they'll just detach and disengage and and so it was striking that as that conversation was going on I talked to you guys and everything you've described here offers a model for how employers can continue to deliver good financial well-being through the workplace without it having to be dependent on the employer owning the pension scheme in inverted commas. So I thought that was really interesting. Did you say that that observation was made by someone 
who is on the pension side of things, pension provider side of things. Well, it's funny, the pension consultants and the the, the providers of the pension schemes are, tend to be the ones who express anxiety about mm. d- d- divorcing and diluting that employer relationship. Yeah. But, you know, there's, you know, being cynical, I could argue there's a vested interest. Being, being charitable, <laughs> I could argue that, well, yes, and I can see there are situations where that relationship has an effective positive impact on individuals the, the 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 members of the pension scheme so you can cut it both ways yes i mean that, that that is fair i'm slightly intrigued by the notion that it's important for the employer to be engaged with the with the pension provider now i guess if you're a, a really big employer and you've got your own pension you used to have db it's now morphed into dc what have you that's that's different from my experience working in companies that provided me with a pension was that it was typically as part of a flexi benefits and the employer would probably get recommended to work with whichever provider it was by the employee benefits consultant that, that they worked with and sometimes that resulted in a change of pension provider so in my last firm it was originally with Aviva and before that it was with I don't know that's Agon for the sake of argument but I wasn't particularly aware of my employer having a particularly keen interest in who the provider was or how it was invested because ultimately that was down to me if it was typically it'd be in the default right and that's that's a whole different question about the impact of just being in default funds rather than taking a more proactive interest but now I'm sitting on the employer side of things when we were setting up of course we have to and want to provide our staff with with a pension and we went to our accountants and said who should we use and they said well you know there's nest but there you know there's this or there's peoples and so we you know and they're smart and we when we just we just went with peoples for i can't remember what reasons and and now our only interest frankly is making sure that we pay into it the right amount gets paid in each month for each employee and that's it now I can see why the was it what's it called pension for life or pot, pot for life, isn't it? Yeah. I can see that having very little impact for the employer as long as they pay money to a single point and it then gets distributed to whichever providers their staff happen to be with. It'd be a total nightmare if their staff were with twenty different providers and they have to make twenty different payments every month. Mm-hmm. But I think I can see why it's a nightmare for the pensions industry, and I can see why it's a nightmare for the employee benefit consultants as well but for the employer as long as the system works and doesn't have a huge impact on their day-to-day then fine and for the consumer it gives them choice i guess which is a good thing as long as they can make an informed decision well yeah i agree so one of the things that struck me looking at your services was you offer this as a package that an employer buys and then rolls out to their their employees their workforce and i was looking at thinking well I'd find that quite useful, but you don't offer it as a retail proposition. It's only through employers. Just talk to me a bit about that and why you made that decision. So this was from the very early ideation phase because the the problem we're trying to solve is that people aren't generally great with money and and frankly deserve to have tools that enable them to be better and to, to have improved financial situations. Problem one for us, if we were to go D to C, the sheer cost of cutting through all the get rich quick crypto this micro investing that type noise that exists in d to c fintech i think would be 
prohibitively expensive for us to to make the impact and to acquire those customers. So although we've built a D2C proposition, we felt that a more effective way to getting to those consumers and for us effectively to have fewer conversations would be through the employer. And at the same time, this was just before COVID and then and then during COVID, I, I think we have seen a, a shift in in that employer-employee relationship where there is a greater expectation on the part of employees that their employer does more for them than pay and pensions and and what have you. And that there are a lot of employee benefit products, not just financial, but but across the spectrum, that are yeah, arguably fighting for airtime, fighting for budget. But I think it, it is see, deemed to be increasingly incumbent on the employer to, to do more for their staff. Ultimately, I think the, the primary reason was just that sheer cost of advertising, marketing and so on to cut through all the other noise in, in the retail space really informed that early decision. Okay, now that all makes sense. Um, and I guess to, to associate a question now is you, you looked at distribution through pension schemes. Was that something you considered? It's definitely something we've considered and it is definitely something that we are actively looking to do. Not least because, as we touched on earlier, if we can help a provider engage with their member on arguably more prosaic day-to-day here and now type stuff, I would venture that they can then start to earn the right to talk to them about making more contributions or consolidating within that scheme or or, or what have you. Because it seems to me that, that pension providers have lots and lots of members but don't really have much of a relationship with them. I absolutely agree with that. And I think some of them are quite keen to change that. I think some of the more progressive pension schemes, some of the master trusts are, are really quite keen to evolve that relationship with their customers. So I think that's a really interesting space. Look, we're running out of time and I just wanted to wrap up. What is what is the immediate future hold for you guys? What's what's kind of top of your pile of to-do stuff for, for what happens next? For us, Tom, commercially, very simply, we are working already working with an employee benefit consultant and we are working on developing more relationships with EBCs because frankly in in the private sector those benefit decisions that employers make are often done hand in hand with the advice of their EBC and therefore it stands to reason that we need to be working with the EBCs more closely and but conversely in in the public sector we are working on a number of really exciting opportunities with employers directly in the NHS, police forces, education in particular. At the moment, one government agency, uh, several conversations with, with more government agencies. So, so uh, commercially, it's, it's really pedal to metal, get more customers, get more members from those customers and continue to grow. And in terms of the app, Rob, do you want to talk a little bit to that? Yeah, sure. So we could probably break it into two sections of kind of run the app and build the app. So in terms of running the app, I think it's continuing to build out our data capabilities and how we interrogate the data that we can see and then turn that into more moves, into more nudges to help people. That's a continual piece of work that will never, ever stop. And then in terms of building the app, we're looking how we can use these um, large language models, chat GPT type things to help people so that the app or support is kind of always on. So we're, we're building things like abstraction layers on top of chat 
GPT so that we can teach it to talk in the way that we talk and, and think in the way that we think. And then continuing to build out the plan your finances module and doing more around objective setting and visualising people's goals and life events that they want to, to try and hit so that we can introduce the, the kind of achievement-based motivational steps into the app just to try and um, to keep people engaged with their finances and really always bringing it back to where is the value the value is in your lifestyle and the the value is in the things that you want to to achieve rather than the act of just having money for the sake of having money Uh, so there's there's some exciting stuff that we're working on which i think can help make a difference to people's outcomes i was just going to add one one thing that rob touched on around engagement there we're also working on a very cool integration with whatsapp which will enable us to or enable our members to communicate with with the app and with the large language stuff but also with a degree of of human real human interaction as well via whatsapp which we think is going to be potentially transformational in terms of our ability to to reach people and to deliver on those improved outcomes so you had a question no 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 i was just going to wrap up there i think that's all been really interesting thank you very much for talking to me today thanks guys thank you tom tom thanks for having us I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, then do please consider leaving a positive review and maybe even subscribing for future episodes. The sound engineer was Ross Burns. Thank you for listening.